following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open a Bible or electronic device that has a Bible on it. Uh, we are in Genesis chapter 3, first book of the Bible. And uh, we're going to look at verse 1 and go all the way to verse 24. Denny and I had a conversation on Wednesday. Um, Wednesday is children's ministry, and uh, Denny serves in uh, the kitchen in regards to our, our midweek cafe. And Denny um, cornered me, and he said, hey, anytime an elder corners you, you get really concerned that something has transpired. And I said, what's up? And he said, I got a question for you. And I said, oh, man. He said, we're in Genesis 3 on Sunday. I said, yeah. He said, what happened to chapter 2? <laughs> and I said, well, there's 50 chapters in the book of Genesis, so if you want to be in Genesis for four years, uh, you know, we can do that, but uh, we're going to kind of uh, expedite this a little bit. So uh, my goal, whenever uh, we're preaching Genesis, is to give you a little bit of, of fill in the gaps, okay? So if we skip verses, because last week we were in Genesis chapter 1, and we looked all the way to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, so if we skip verses, I'm going to update you, okay? So don't fear that uh, we'll get updated. Also, one thing you can do is you can go back and you can ask just a few associates from um, uh, previous week, too. So from last week to this week, let's talk about the entire. Now, I'm so thankful for the screens, uh, and I just cleared that there. Uh, I'm going to need to communicate with you this morning, because a long time if you took to apologize for what I last week, said, Jordan, uh, I can't down everything on the screen. <laughs> and that's okay, all right? If you need to, uh, just hit the highlights. They're all up here for you. There's a lot on Genesis. We want to make sure that you get that. If you want my sermon, give it to you. Uh, so, uh, by all means, I learned out last week. I don't want to but I didn't do that. So, uh, so uh, by all means, just email me and ask, hey, can you give me what I missed? And by all means, it does do well to write down things, too. Well. And do, um, do write down your hands. Because sometimes you're head your hand, you actually write down things. I actually, when I sleep, I open up your notes. Um, so, there's nothing wrong with that. Either as much as an air mode and not look for shoes instead of taking your notes. So, don't remember to All right. So, just after you look back, let's look at verse 4. We'll go to verse 5. We heard Dan say Elohim, and in chapter one we learned that God's name is plural in Hebrew. So we see one body present in three persons. All of them are there at the creation of cosmos or world. Elohim forms Adam first from the dust of ground and breathes life in chapter four through six into his nostrils. He is the giver, creator, and sustainer of life. Now Elohim places Adam in a beautiful garden called the Garden of Eden. This is a paradise, and in paradise we see two trees, bottled trees. The first tree is tree of life, and the second tree is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This garden also has a river that flows through the entire garden to provide water and nourishment. That's verse eight through fourteen, chapter two. I'm going to Elohim do a couple of things. First of all, he's meant to take care of the garden. So we had learned last week that work before false things means it's a slip of an idea that won't be work after a redemption comes. And some of you find it too taxing. You're like, hold on, I'll break. Uh, no, work is not tied to work taxing before the fall. When it's done for the Lord, and the same day will be when redemption takes place. So he's all commanded to take care of the garden, but it's bidden to eat from the knowledge of evil. If he did that, he would die. Now, that's not what he does. So we're there on defense. He does what they him. He does not have a lot. And so he goes to the garden. He brings animals, chapter 2 to him, and verse him. And he says, This is what our dominant over in verse 8 kingdom. So I want you to give him names. And Adam says, And he names all the animal kingdoms. So no, I name of animal, blend them. All he sees no opposite for him. And he all animals realize they have and he sees there's no one that is fit for him. And so he calls Adam, follows his deep sleep, and he takes one of his ribs, one of his eyes, creates first one, and faces her in front of Adam, and he says, Whoa, man. And that's your name. And now the God ordained institution of marriage happens. It's initiated. Adam's united with what? Now, uh, Eve is not out of Adam's head or his feet. She comes out of his side. Why? She's compliment, not competition. She's meant to compliment him, him, compliment her. So we see their name, their name, their initiation. Chapter 2, verse 1, verse 25, there's these things. And all the verses in chapter 2 lead us to chapter 3. So we see human origin and significant marriage and relationship between man and woman and God. And the concept of free will is also presented. Adam and Eve are given a choice. And that choice is will they obey or will they disobey God's command? Somebody asked me a long time ago, they said, How long do you think it took for Adam to sin in the garden? If it was me, seconds. So we don't really have like a time frame that happened here. We just know that it happened. And our whole goal today is to look at the fall of man and the salvation of God. Genesis chapter 3 and look at the first seven verses. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? 
And the woman said back to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. It's interesting that she asked, You shall not touch it. God said, Don't eat it. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. You'll be like God. You'll know good, and you'll know evil. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and there was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired and to make one wise. And so what did she do? She took of its fruit, she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Adam's right next to her the whole time. And then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. So the first thing we see in the first seven verses is the temptation and the fall. And in those verses, we're going to unpack those three things. We're going to unpack the tender, we're going to unpack temptation, and then we're also going to unpack what happens when you are falling to temptation by the medicine. All right, so let's look at those three. First one, the temptation. Now, in the ancient Near East, people use serpents, so the words to represent different things. They could be a code for the right? so serpent could be more, could be a protector. In the Egyptian era, cobra symbolized protection. Kind of like I'm grabbing the visual, right? Cobra, Two, sign of evil. They'd be like poisons, snakes in Egypt were massively prevalent as we study history. Three, they'd be associated with fertility. The Canaanites in the Old Testament had a positive link to fertility in regards to serpents. Or they'd be more seen as representations of the renewal or the continuation of life because they shed their skin. It's not a revelation that here the unnamed serpent garden is named to Satan. So we have to be grateful to have the entire word about his revelation because great insight in what transpired into Genesis. And Revelation chapter 12, 7, verse 2, he is called the persecutor, he is the accuser. He is the devil or Diablos in Greek. Now, to say it or in heaven, he stands outside the natural order. Satan is a fallen angel. He is not God's opposite. In other words, there's two gods. There is God, Elohim, and then there is his creation, which is the angelic world, and fallen angel, or demons, and Satan is head of all of those. He is wicked, he is wise, he knows Yahweh's plans. He knows all the divine matters and huge speech to initiate huge because, as we learn in the text in verse 1, he's crafty. Now, circle the word crafty. Now, in Hebrew, because in the text, we see the Bible is written in Hebrew, we're crafty upon it means clever or tricky. Now, there's a to go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, the man and his wife were both knit and they were not ashamed. In Hebrew, the word is word nude. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, we see the word crafty, which is also shrewd. But you connect those two scenes and you expose Adam and Eve's vulnerability. What's transpiring here is seeing the source of God's word because he's charming and delicate he is manipulating God's word. This is our enemy as leaders. This is what we're against. This is not a mythical symbol. This is not just a story in a book. And we look at it and we examine this is true. This really happens. We believe the inspired narrative of God. We believe that all this happened. And we believe it's a real living, active being. And he strives to do everything under his dominion. So what is our response? Never take a serpent like He prowls around like a lion seeking someone to destroy. He offers to Eve temptation. Similar verse 1, verse 5. The first thing the serpent does, look at this. He says, did God actually say? So in today, not just in our circles in regards to the world, but also in circles all over the earth. Did your mom dad really say? Did your mom girl really say? Did God really say? What he's doing is he's attempting to bring everything under his dominion. He undermines God's obedience and distorts a perspective. He emphasizes God's prohibition and not his provision. That's what the devil is all about. He produces God's hand to question. He wants Eve to doubt. Elohim's sincerity and his motives. So look, when Satan says, did God actually say you should eat from a tree garden? He suddenly changes God's word and distorts the truth. That's what's happening in the American church. There are even believers today who are distorting God's word and therefore distorting the truth. Satan wants God's word to be harsh and restrictive. And so he slowly yields to his half-truth. And a half-truth is a full lie. So here comes minimizing the threat, fears. Now, what is this? He knows Romans 3, verse 3, before separating the Bible. Hebrew word knowing, verse 5, means ambiguous, or certainly God appeared to be restricting at the full humanity. Now, there's a commentator out there, his name's Armstrong, and he kind of just a little bit personal on this. He says, what happens to software knowledge is not a philosophical, a scientific knowledge, but practical knowledge that gives them blessing and fulfillment. Us believers are still after this, because we're still after these blessings that knowledge is going to have us increase. And we think that's something we just know something, then we must be smart. A lot of people have degrees on their wall, not smart. If they have put into practice, they know to be true, and that's what happens here with Eve. She's into practice, she's be true, and because of that, she falls into verse 6. Sin. Notice, Adam needs to seeking information, a hunger for the power that comes from knowledge. And it goes to destroy the being of good. You're asking about good. Good was what God said when he created all the days of creation. And he says, this is good. It's when he likes it's fixed. Sin is ultimately when man takes what God says is good and tries to move it to another place where it shouldn't populate. That's exactly what Eve is doing here. After the fall, good is no longer rooted in what God said. It's not what man thinks is best. This is why Paul says, there's no one righteous or good, not even one. Adam's definition of good is smashed when they chose to sin. They caused their eyes to be open and they found themselves naked, which means defenseless and weak and ultimately humiliated. So when we are tempted to sin by the tender, and we do so, our eyes are open, and we see who we truly are, defenseless, weak, and humiliated. Look at verse 7. To sin is to have both figurative and literal death. So it's so open, God said, you're going to die now. And he said, what does that mean? Death has no comprehension to them. They don't understand that. As a matter of fact, don't die to death right here at the start. Instead, they die spiritual death, and spiritual is worse than possible separation from God. 
The pain is so great, they simply cover up their eternal shame with the coin loss. Now, Romans 6, when he comes to flood, the wages of sin is death. Physical death is a true tragedy. A great catastrophe is serious death. Separation from God can't cover sin with birth. Here are the first human beings trying to cover their sin by works. They're trying to work so that God would look at them with favor. When the amazing things are hiding from God. And so they're standing condemned. Let's go to verse 8 and look at some judgment. The sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Man, that sounds good, right? Cool of the day. I could go for that right now. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord. If, if that's even possible. Uh, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? <laughs> and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And God says back to him, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, Woman, whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Man's downfall. And then the Lord God said to the woman, Is this what you've done? And the woman points her finger at the serpent, and she said, The serpent, he deceived me, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the serpent, who is obviously still present, by the way, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, a dust you shall eat in all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 16. To the woman, he says, I'll certainly multiply your pain in childbirth. The pain you shall bring for children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I command you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall ring forth for you, and you shall eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till it return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Whoa. Now what's transpiring here? Let's look at this, and we're just going to break this down a little bit. Verse 8. Notice that God comes to humanity. I love this. God comes to humans. It's not the other way around. We do not seek after God. God seeks for us. Paul in Romans chapter 17, chapter 19, verse 10, talks about what they do. Paul said that there's no one, one person who seeks after God. Notice that one person looks for the Lord. Who says, isn't a man who came to seek to say, I was just lost. So Elohim, the gardener, he had not started. He's still very present, and he's walking. I want to use that word walk. It's a huge word. It's not just say anthropomorphism. Super fun. It basically just means that he went out in the cool of the day. It's describing human language to an incomprehensible God. It helps us kind of understand how God operates. In the cool of the day, it by wind or by spirit of the day, which is simple as presence. So basically, Moses is going to see just how particularly they are present, they are aware of the distance. Adam didn't even have to verbally admit their fault, which is interesting. He just hit, which is an addition of guilt. By the way, don't do this, amen. Like, just hide, would you go? Like, no, right? Okay. Like, would you? Actually, it's quiet in that house too, right? Like, quiet and silly, an addition of guilt. Let's name now change. Look at verse 8. And in the English standard version of the Bible, it goes to capital L, capital O, capital R, capital B. That is the word Yahweh. So now we have Lord or Elohim Yahweh, which happened in chapter 2, and that's the top name for the God of Israel. Why is it important? Well, this is the name of God. Who is Adam and Eve's God has a right to question them and hold them accountable. He's their creator. He gets to hold them accountable. He gets to ask the questions. And so he does. For he questions humanity. Questions. Number one, where are you? Number two, who told you that you were naked? Number three, have you eaten for treat? Number four, what is this that you have done? Now, loves this models the justice of Elohim Yahweh. He will not pass sentence without careful investigation. Even though Elohim Yahweh is he still questions that why? His sole desire is to confess their guilt and wrong. I always ask the justice account. What if Adam and Eve have just confessed right there in front of me? What if they just looked at us? We messed up. We admit a wrong. What would have been there? You don't know. But Adam declared he heard. But was afraid he was exposed, which he did. And he did. And I love to use Eve. She started. Which is what he's standing right next to her. And she pauses. And she was blaming the serpent, which is ultimately putting a blame on God. Any of you wanting your sin, you're ultimately God. James, chapter 1, verse 3, tells us, Let no one say we have to be by God, so you doing in the past. For God not be to be evil, he himself and so on. Actions motivated by fear, motivated by faith, and that cannot put God. So there's no responsibility being taken personally. No reason is happening transpiring. There's no asking for God to forgive. The hard part of the whole text is nobody's saying, I mess up. Two words, thank you for all the time. They'll help you get so long. I'm sorry, I always thank you. So how much that just shows humility taking effect. Now here's the great thing. 14 15, Satan is not a Satan is already fallen. He's not in the question given the chance to explain. He just immediately cursed. And that word cursed is the word impotent in Greek, which means not the ability to produce no life, no peace of the field. 
Bottle says he was gorgeous, but he leaves the garden creeping, slithering like snakes every day. Some people believe that snakes let the and they lost him. And here you see that he moves out of the garden. He is dust. Never does if you want to circle that uh, in 14 and 15. It means to eat dust. This is something to bring back with teenagers, right? To sports. Like, you eat dust. You lost so bad. You ate dust. It's a symbol for like this horrible humiliation, total defeat, right? It means they can reach victory all the time, Peter and I fall short constantly. And then it's going to have between him and the woman and offering her. Now, we need to understand what that means. When it says between the woman and offering her, what does that mean? The word offering, the word offering means seed or descendants. And it's literal and it is figurative. It's literal for the woman. We know that Adam and Eve have kids. Cain and then humanity at large, called Christ, and then those who are in Christ, which called the church. So it's, it's literal. It's a little unpacking in regards to uh, Eve. It's figurative in regards to the serpent. In other words, no little snakes that are coming around, okay? It doesn't fit the context of what's fathering demons. Sin is not, uh, not able to do that. Offering a serpent includes anyone who has pledged allegiance to him by rejecting God or by coming to him willingly. It's his darkness. It's the fact that he's the father of all evil. Satan would cripple mankind. That's what he says, Job bruises his heel. But see, here is the test. Here's Jesus coming to fruition. The seed is Christ who delivers the fatal blow. He shall bruise your head. Now here's right thing. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, this is many divided now into two camps. You have elect, those who come to the Lord of faith, and then you have braved, those who love themselves and follow evil. The question is, whose seed are you? Do you If I cast my mouth, do my heart, Jesus Christ is Lord, I come into the camp of being a child of God. You many is not filled up. You have all this judgment coming in, but now have painful labor, multiplied physical pain and shopper. They wrestle also with insubordination. I act as for college class, and once you didn't, clear as day, it's screamed out. So that's why. So what are you talking about? That's why I'm again. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? That's perfect. There just shows my sinful nature acting up whenever I want to dominate some guy. Right. Well, that's okay. <laughs> Confess and believe whatever you want. Right. So she is uh, she's, she's striving for seeing to uh, rule over her husband when he will fight his urge, rule over your husband when he needs to lead. Then also rules over his wife. Now, when you see rule over when you're upset, it's not to dominate his wife. Remember, take out of the second compliment, not competition. But he's stepping in and lead where he failed previously, where he hadn't failed to lead. He's just stepped up in his mouth and started talking to his wife. He's the one who just stepped up. He wants to talk to her. He's supposed to be a leader. He's supposed to be one who comes in and intervenes for her. But it's done. He also has pain is the same for limitation. Never that you can test, but it's the same. Three fall works blessing from the working for, uh, for the working, but not a curse. It's passing, it's hostile. Notice verse 18 says thorns and thistles. So the works serves as a parable for the spiritual hostility that has to be overcome by only wisdom. So now, how does it Well, in the end, a man and woman finds himself in chaos and receives physical essence. Do the dust, you shall return, says in verse 9. Physical death is the culmination of spiritual death. However, even though we just need that spiritual physical, the gift of God, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 3, is eternal life, which allows God to open away for eternal salvation that outlasts the grave. And that's where salvation comes to fruition. Look at verse 1. <clears throat> the man called his wife because she was mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of sin, and he clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, and knowing good and evil. Now let's he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, angels, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Here is salvation coming to fruition. Let me unpack this real quick. Verse 20 and 21, in the first act of leading his wife, it's amazing that Adam names her. He gives her a very personal name that defines her destiny. It's almost prophetical. She's the mother of all the living. When Adam names his wife, it's the beginning of hope. Finally, he's stepping up and doing something. It's showing acceptance of Elohim Yahweh's justice and believing that God's promise that a faithful woman will bear the offspring able to defeat Satan. Adam and Eve also accept garments, verse 21, through the sacrifice of animals. Here's death. That has entered. I can't prove it, but possibly Adam and Eve saw it. Something died and realized their own destiny as well. And notice that God covers them through the sacrifice of an animal. He covers them more than their set attempts were. And through sacrifice, Elohim always restores fellowship with him and with each other. Salvation will now always come through God's sacrifice. It can be temporary in the Old Testament. It can be permanent in the New Testament through Christ. Now, Brueggemann, who's another cousin here, he says, so, since God does couple or for the couple, they can't do themselves. They cannot deal with their God, and he does, and he will. Now, notice 22 24. 22, it says us. Man has come like us. This is not talking about the Trinity. This is heavenly court, the realm, all of uh, heaven. Um, no. Adam and like other heavenly beings, they, they know the knowledge of the and thus, all humans cannot participate in immortality anymore. So, Elohim always forced to banish them. Adam and Eve to cleanse his temple garden. 
Talking about these cherubim, which are angels, which are exactly like the cherubim in Ezekiel chapter 28, and a flaming sword to guard the way to the cherubim. I believe that as soon as they left, that became hidden us. And later, in tabernacle, the shapes of cherubim were embroidered on curtains separated people from prisons above. So in the temple, Jesus after this, the curse went in half. We got enough of Jesus and asked God for forgiveness of sins. We entered back into rest with him. That was abandoned, is now open. The savage were mixed with God to his blood. Please let me do this. Good question. Tree of life in the garden is hidden from us. Don't listen around. They're cutting in and doing that. They're trying to make this thing, and it's just not me. Right? Revelation, guys, brings evil clarity into Jesus. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, by his grace, which flowed through the garden of Eden. From the throne of God, and the middle of the tree of the sea, also on the side of the river, tree of life, spoke fruit, yielding. It's reached among the leaves of the tree, where the healing of Jesus, and no longer will be anything accursed. All God's dealings with people as they're trace back to this specific act of disobedience. What we need to remember is that our God, Elohim Yahweh, is a saving God who covers us in his perfect sacrifice. The fact that he clubbed Adam, he testifies to that animal was sacrificed by arms of skin later in the text. All Israel's animal sacrifices would be part of the to remedy hers, a life for a life. The sinner shall die, says Ezekiel. The sinner shall die, says Paul in Romans 6. But he or she will live when they place their faith in the Lord who has provided a proper propitiation, his perfect sacrifice in Jesus. In Genesis 3, what does it highlights how much God really do less. The skin of Adam and Eve actually reminded them of God's provision. Generally, in the fullness of time, God accepted the sacrifice of Christ on the basis of the atonement that he goes leaders in righteousness. Over in the biblical text, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But Paul's words in Romans are really a culmination of everything that we've talked about. And it's a prayer that we will pray as we close out this sermon. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God had been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Throughout redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith, not of works. Why? This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today realizing that all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And because of the transgression that happened in the garden, the wages of that sin is death. It was passed down from Adam to generation to generation to generation to generation, and now it lands with us. And God, we know the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That you had in mind all the way back then that you would love the world so much that you would send your only son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting and eternal life. And if you're here this morning and don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, make the best decisions you could ever make. Repent of your sins and trust Christ. Because so many of us have made that decision, and yet it has not taken full root in our hearts. We've not allowed ourselves to realize what we have been saved from. And so great was the cost of redemption, and yet we still, like sheep, go astray. We still sin. We still slip up. We still wrestle with this thing called the flesh. Our prayer, Lord, this year is that we would be so in awe of the fact that you clothed us in righteousness because of Christ's sacrifice. It leads us to acts of worship. It leads us to eliminate sin in our life. It leads us to eliminate worldliness, the things that are tripping us up. It leads us to eliminate relationships that are not healthy. It leads us to eliminate the things that are causing us strife instead of sanctifying and setting us apart. So we pray, Lord, that the awareness of what we have just talked about would lead us to awe and wonder about how great your salvation truly is. We repent, Lord, and come before you and trust you that you lead us and that you guide us. May we fulfill the great commission that you have entrusted to us as we go from this place to make disciples, to show people what we've been saved from, and to conform more to the image of your Son. We do indeed thank you for Genesis. What it shows us 
what it means to have a covenant relationship with you through faith and trust in Christ. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.